Get road trip ready with a service checkup at your local Chevy dealer. They can save you time and money and get the job done right the first time, worry-free. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for current service specials or to schedule a test drive. Hey, Reggie Rue, how are you doing? Good. Good, 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 good. Feel like uh, making some podcast magic today? I do. <laughs> All right, let's do this thing then, huh? I like where the levels are. Just keep them there. You always get them at the right spot. That's If you had one major accomplishment in this entire thing here, it's that you always have the levels at the right spot. Nice job. How's that for a compliment? (laughs) All right, let's do this thing. Put it in the book here, episode number 366. I'll give you the countdown, and I'll give you a three S. I'll give you the three S's. I'll give you the countdown. Give me the music. I'll give you a podcast. What do you say? Okay, here we go. Star, smile strong, and get ready. Hit that little button here. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. Oh. We're sitting there just waiting for you. But, of course, listening is not all you are required to do as a Captain Podtastic fan. We are now officially getting into the presidential election cycle, which means get out there on the street. People will be taken to the streets with their signs and everything. You get out there, too, and tell your friends, tell your family. Tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Podtastic. (laughs) And it should be theirs, too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Same thing. Go to the the WGN website. Hit podcast prompt. Hit the prompt for this podcast. And my goodness. You can listen to podcasts forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to listen forever and ever, forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> Look up Randy Travis. Google Randy Travis. Anyway, there's a ton of podcasts in there. So many that this is podcast number 366. I always urge the podcast listener, you, hopefully the regular podcast listener, long time or newbie, if you will, I think I can safely say now that the day this podcast posts that we now have been doing this for seven years, seven years. I don't know if that's good or bad, to be honest with you. I really don't. <laughs> I appreciate, though, uh, 
your loyalty and devotion um, a few weeks ago. Uh, the podcast had some technical problems. It wasn't posted on the uh, on the same the time and day that it usually is Monday mornings at eight p.m. Central or eight a.m. Central. And uh, I got quite a few uh, emails from people saying, "Hey, where's the podcast? Where's the podcast? Podcast isn't up. Where it was blah blah blah." And believe me, I, I it was fantastic. First of all, thank you for the heads up, and B, it was great to see how many people, um really were concerned that it's part of their regular routine. And that's great. At the same time, as I said, um, I've been doing this for seven years. I've enjoyed it or I wouldn't be doing it. So please know that. Um, but you know, um, other podcasters have certainly, um, (laughs) made quite a living, uh, Joe Rogan and Adam Carolla. Others have made a lot of, uh, News and viral. I don't know. It, 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 there's everybody now has a podcast. Who knows what it takes? Uh, uh, would I have loved or would have would love for this podcast to be, you know, one of the best in the country? I think it is. I like to listen to it myself. I do listen to it, and I appreciate you listening to it. But uh, you know, after seven years, uh, I guess we're still we're one of those cult things. You know. Uh, Hopefully, we're just one of those things that a, a lot of people like. Maybe the masses don't, but there's a nice little club of people that listen to it every week and enjoy it, and uh, I appreciate that, and uh, and I'm indebted to you for your loyalty. Um, you know, if we're not a massive hit after seven years and making multi-million dollars, well, what are you going to do? But at least we're doing it every week, and hopefully I'm passing on some interesting information and some fun entertainment uh, to get you through your week. And if that is what uh, if that's what I'm able to achieve here, then uh, I'm more than satisfied and more than happy. But no question, you know, after seven years, uh, you know, some people say, "Wow, what a slacker!" Well, not a slacker. I've done 366 of these episodes. You're listening to 366. Number is 366, so uh, certainly not slacking, but uh, who knows what it takes. You know, I mean, did you see, uh, there's this young woman. I talked about this several podcasts ago back in April when uh, there was this one girl that was standing behind a couple of the golfers uh, and, you know, the, the TV. She was a pretty young woman. She's a cheerleader at a college, blah, blah, blah. And she was standing in the gallery right behind the two golfers and uh you know people started reacting oh my god who's that beautiful girl i want to marry her and now you know a month later she was at the pga tournament last a uh, couple of weeks ago uh you know signing autographs taking pictures so uh, who knows what it takes to become well known or popular today it's sad uh popularity and celebrity is fleeting i'm proud of the fact that um that we're still doing this after seven years i'm grateful that wgn still has me up on their on their website to do the podcast and so uh as long as you're listening uh i'll be talking okay how's that for a deal fame and fortune be damned (laughs) as i always say uh, I do. I do encourage you to go back and listen to previous podcasts because many times I will follow up 
on some things I've spoken about that may be back in the news. I did not expect this to be so quick in response to something I spoke about. Regular listeners of this podcast, you don't even have to go back far on this one. How about last week? How about last week? Last podcast, number 365. I talked about, gave you a nice, I think, hopefully, uh, uh, a, a fairly detailed, hopefully wasn't too rambling, uh, basically the history of broadcasting. <laughs> hopefully you know more than you did before. Uh, some good little tidbits probably to, to, uh, to drop in at a party, perhaps. This you go. It's just a little insight into some of the parties that I would go to that would find that interesting. Uh, <laughs> but um, but but my main um, my main focus was on the fact that there was news that many of the leading car makers in the world were either deciding or had decided that they were not going to include AM radios in their new models moving forward. Not only the electric cars, of which they claim there's some technological interference with the AM radio signal and the the guts and the electrical guts and, and frequencies of the electric car, I can't believe that those can't be worked out. I think that is a lame excuse. And then Ford came out and said that not only were they not going to put it in their electric cars, they were not going to put an AM radio in any of their cars. Starting in 2024, the 2024 models with their Mustang, eliminating AM radio. And so I went kind of on a rampage here, saying how silly and short-sighted that decision was, how basically I felt it was an ageism decision, it was based on some hipsters, I think, that said, oh, hey, no one listens to M radio, so let's just get rid of it. That's for old people, uh, as opposed to, as, and, and that's very in keeping with a lot of today's world. We look back at the past and say, whatever, that was then, and we're about now. And, and every generation has done that, but most generations have had some kind of a, of a respect for at least the acknowledgement of the past it doesn't seem like today's generations really do they're they're willing to just uh you know if, if something that happened 10 years ago or in their lifetime it didn't happen is pretty much the adage which is a shame because as i said we are human beings human beings have not changed much at all since we were cave dwellers and human nature has not changed and so that is why history repeats itself because we repeat ourselves, because we keep making the same mistakes that we've always made since we first existed. And so, yes, there are lessons that can be learned from history. And yet we seem to fail to do that. I'm not sure why. I try to. And um, I find that it helps more times than not. But I felt it was a very... Uh, Short-sighted, silly, ageism, uh, cynical decision by Ford, especially, 
to not put them in any of their cars. And and frankly, some of the other people like BMW and, and I mean, there's a Mazda, uh, you know, Tesla. Believe me, in today's world, we have a lot of smart people with a lot of smart brains who can find a way to get around this fix. I think this is an ageism question. This is an ageism topic, an issue about just dumping AM radio. No one listens to it. Apparently, apparently Ford did some kind of a survey and they found they found at least they claim they found it only five percent listened to it anyway um follow-up is so i ranted and said horrible decision and am radios belong in cars for many reasons not just the history but the emergency uh aspect of it and, and the the service it provides it belongs there. You can put all these other bells and whistles in cars. It's not going to cost that much. It's not going to be that much to keep the AM radio signal in there. So give me a break. It was a ageism, cynical, do away with the past decision. And that's all it was. And they were trying to cover it with some fake, lame excuses that really didn't hold water. Now, that podcast posted last Monday, okay? Last Monday, on Tuesday, Ford announced they were reversing their decision and they would include AM radios in their new cars. So first of all, what kills me is, you mean to tell me that they can just, now all of a sudden the AM radios are going to be in the cars? Aren't they beginning to design and and put some of those cars together? Usually the new year of the cars come out in like the fall. I would assume they're, they're pretty much, they're far along in the design um, and, the, and maybe even the manufacture of some of those cars. Maybe, maybe not. But that goes to show you just how, how transparent and fake this whole thing was. This was, this was ageism. This, this was not about what they were saying. And, um, but to the credit of the industry, the National, National American, uh, or the National Association of Broadcasters, to get the word out, to talk about why, you know, to get the points out, the talking points and awareness that AM belongs in the cars, if not just for entertainment value, but because of many of the, the vital services that it provides people in their cars for free easy access to up-to-date information emergencies about weather or traffic or or anything foreign uh foreign language stations that serve different populations on am well apparently when the news came out when ford said that they were going to drop the am radios More than 200,000 people either sent letters or messages or emails, whatever they did, to Congress. And when Congress hears from its constituents, they act. And congressmen were were in the midst of putting together some kind of a a bill, potentially. Um, they, They sent letters to the manufacturers explaining their side as to why they felt for the public good they should continue to put am radios in their cars and good old democracy good as i said get out there tell your friends tell your family tell anybody you know that your favorite podcast is elton jim's captain podtastic hitting the streets does work 
the people had have spoken and on Tuesday last week Ford reversed its decision now who knows how long this will last they said they will they are not going to remove it because of the emergency uh, aspect of it but it was also a little vague uh they 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 kept a uh a small little loophole open about um technologies that will allow for people to receive emergency signals so to me this is a victory no question but it could be a short term victory as it stands so it I I'm I, I'm I'm still a little I'm very pleased, but a little skeptical because I'm wondering if this is going to be a temporary decision. And in 2025, they announced the same thing. And as I said before, the the case is being made that you know even these electric cars because now Ford said they're going to keep them in all their cars, even the electric cars. So it just goes to show you that yes, technologically some fixes can be done to get away from this this BS uh, argument that uh, the AM signal interferes with the, the electrical guts of how an electric car works. That's, that, now that's turning out to be BS, too. There's enough smart minds out there that can work around that and find a fix. So, um, great victory for the AM radio. Um, hopefully, it's not a temporary victory or a short-term victory, but a long-term victory. As I've said, if you can put all those bells and whistles and all those different options into a car, especially in today's world, the dashboard is almost the entire screen. There's not even almost a dashboard anymore. It's just all big screen. It's an 80-inch TV in on your dashboard, practically. With all those options, the AM radio signal can still be one of those options. Of all those options, those bells and whistles they tell you about, oh, well, look at this got. How many of those do you use? This was clearly a, a ageism hipster kind of thing. Oh, that's, that's old-fashioned. Let's just get rid of it. I'm still not completely convinced that they're going to, that they're, they're going to this is long-term. I'm a little leery, but for time being, it's a victory. So it, good, it was a good old grassroots kind of um, effort. And for Ford, I give them credit for listening and reversing a decision. Hopefully, the other car manufacturers will follow suit. Just as it would have been easy for those car, car, the other car manufacturers to follow Ford's suit and eliminate the AM radios, hopefully they will now follow suit and follow ford's reversal if they had plans to do that to keep am radios and cars now my main point on this is look folks i don't want to say anything but uh kind of coincidental that this podcast elton jim's captain podtastic on a monday with a screaming headline of Elton Jim demands that automakers put the brakes on removing AM radios. That was the headline of the podcast. Was it a coincidence that 
The day after this podcast was there for the entire world to see and for the entire world to listen to, that the next day Ford reversed their decision? Ah, You know, folks, there are very few coincidences in this world. So uh, at the beginning of this podcast, I mentioned like, oh, we've been doing this for seven years and, you know, we haven't set the world on fire. You know, it's not Joe Rogan or Adam Carolla, uh, you know, with uh, millions of people around the world listening and and blah, blah, blah. But I don't care about that. I care about the content that we're creating here. That's what I was saying earlier. It's, It's about you and me anyway. It's you and me against the world, right? So I'm taking credit for this one, folks. <laughs> Too coincidental. I'm taking credit for it. I said it on Monday. They changed their mind on Tuesday. I'm taking credit for it. AM radio, radio industry. Elton Jim says, you're welcome. <laughs> I was shocked when I saw that on Tuesday that Ford changed its mind. I'm like, I just talked about this on Monday. So I don't care until somebody from Ford publicly refutes my claim that my podcast from the Monday before the Tuesday announcement of the reversal did not play a part. I am taking credit for it. And those of you who listened to the podcast on Monday, you know what you heard before you heard the news on Tuesday. So you were with me. Thank you. You know who said it first. And they know who said it first. So I'm taking credit for it. Thank you very much. AM radio, you're welcome. As I quoted last week and i will do is i'll do it again from freddie mercury radio someone still loves you <laughs> so but that's that's just a that's just a follow-up just a little postscript but one i think worth talking about yes Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic helps sway auto industry. Thank you very much. (laughs) What I want to really talk about today, uh, you know, I love pop culture. I've been raised on pop culture since I was a little kid. Uh, Basically, pop culture, television has basically been my sibling. I was an only child. I'm an only child. And um, so my sibling was pop culture, was entertainment, was television, was music, was the radio, movies. That was my brothers and sisters. I didn't have any other ones. So that's where I spent a lot of my free time with. I wasn't fighting and, you know, and slapping and hitting and teasing and playing pranks. No, pop culture and I, we got along just fine. A major pop culture milestone came to pass uh, a few weeks ago. 
On May 14th, 1998, 25 years ago, hard to believe it was 25 years ago, but it was. 25 years ago, the TV sitcom Seinfeld had its last episode aptly titled a two-parter called the finale and it is hard to believe that Seinfeld has been off the air for 25 years because it really hasn't been off the air certainly new episodes ceased to exist but in the last 25 years that show has never been off television it was on in reruns before the show was off with original episodes and it has remained in different areas. It's on Netflix. It's been on several different streamers. It's been on cable, on TBS. It's been on Comedy Central, which is where it is now. Uh, it has been on your local stations. It has you can you can watch Seinfeld pretty much twenty four hours a day if you wanted to. Just like on a Seinfeld episode, one of my favorites. Uh, when they're the one about the mannequin that looks like Elaine, and there's kind of this stalker who is uh, who makes mannequins, but also is really into the TV guide, or as he says, the guide. He meets Elaine on the subway, and he even points out when she, when she's reading her TV guide how interesting it is to read the TV guide, and people might not even know what the TV guide is anymore. When you think about it, goes things talk about. Things changing in 25 years. I think TV Guide still exists, but certainly not in the same form and in the same impact that it had in today's world. There still was the little digest-sized TV Guide that people would read to find out what was on television. That may exist, but it it certainly doesn't have the impact that it did. And Mr. Costanza, George's father, collected those, and this uh, stalker guy, says to Elaine, who he's, he's taken with Elaine, he goes, well, look at here. You could, on this day, you could have watched Lucy six times. Here's Lucy. I love Lucy, the Lucy show. Here's Lucy. Well, it's the same way. If you if you go on your program guide and a TV guide, because now that's, on your television, that's pretty much, Replace TV guide, your program guide on your television. There are some times where you could probably, I mean, we know if you went on on Netflix, you could just watch every episode all day for the rest of your life, anytime you want any episode. But if you did want to watch it just when it's on a prearranged time on a station, you know, between local stations and and um, and and Comedy Central. Uh, you could probably watch many hours of Seinfeld. <laughs> I have to say, I have some favorite shows. There's no question that growing up watching the reruns, uh, I still love The Honeymooners with Jackie Gleason and Audrey Meadows and Art Carney and Joyce Randolph. I was watching that as a little kid here in the Chicago area on Channel 32. Used to show the reruns. And uh, as I said many times, I know them by heart. Uh, It's just, um, 
it, it was a part. It's a. It's been a part of my life since I can. I can't even remember not knowing the Honeymooners. Obviously, I'm not old enough to have watched it when it first aired in 1955 and 1956. But I watched the reruns in the early to mid 70s as I was a very little kid. As I said, television was my sibling. So there are a, that. What I, I still have to put as my favorite show, but. I would say over the last 25 years, and I, w- I watched Seinfeld practically from its, from its first episode, I remember always liking Jerry Seinfeld as a stand-up comic, seeing him on um, many TV shows, doing his, his act on The Tonight Show and on David Letterman and the, and the different talk shows and things. So I remember liking Jerry Seinfeld. So when I heard he had a television show coming on NBC, I did watch it. Um, so it was on for nine seasons to begin with, starting as the Seinfeld Chronicles, uh, for only four episodes in 1989, really. So it was on for 10 years, if you count that, even though it was four episodes, uh, it was on for nine years, um, and you know, nine seasons and, uh, so I've been watching it for over 35 years, really. But it's been 25 years since it's been off the air. And it's, it, it, since it's, but it's never been off the air, right? It's just not new episodes. And it's really because it's never left the air. That's why I think those, those last 25 years have gone by so fast. But, but then when you take a step back, um, you have to, you know, if, if you if you're older and you watched it from the beginning, you have to realize that you know people in their twenties and younger that seems like an ancient show. Even though it's never been off the air, you know they weren't even born in the mid nineties when the show was on. They weren't even born when the show went off in 1998. People that are younger than 25 years old were not born when Seinfeld went off. So if it's been 25 years, perfect example, like I just said, The Honeymooners first aired in 1955 and went to 1956, and I was probably watching them in the early 70s as a very young kid when they were on Channel 32 here in Chicago, WFLD. But even that... And it seemed like an old show because don't forget, the Honeymooners were in black and white, and now by then, color television was pretty much the, the norm and the standard. So those shows from the 50s that were being shown on rerun in the 70s, like Sergeant Bilko with Phil Silvers and, uh, you know, like the, a lot of the Western shows, uh, and then the 60s comedies from the early 60s, like Dick Van Dyke and and Andy Griffith, like Lucy, once again, mid-50s. Those were the shows that were being shown in reruns in the 70s. And they did seem older because they were black and white. But now in retrospect, those shows in the, in the mid-70s were just about, were even less off the air than this Seinfeld is now. Seinfeld original episodes have been off the air for 25 years. But even with the Honeymooners in the mid-70s, 
That was only 20 years, from 1955 to 1975. And Lucy, the same thing. And those seemed old. So I even wonder, does Seinfeld seem old? I don't know. It's hard because I was there from the beginning and its end. But if I was 25, I wouldn't know. Does it seem like it's an old show? Sure, the fashions look a little out of date and things like that. But I guess it's an old show. Even though it's never left, so it doesn't have that same feel to it. And it's not in black and white. So it doesn't look immediately old like like the Honeymooners and Lucy did and, and Dick Van Dyke and, and Andy Griffith because they were in black and white. Now, what you have to understand, too, is that in the last 25 years, our society has certainly changed quite a bit in terms of what is termed funny, what is termed uh, offensive or offending. It seems like today um, being offended is worse than robbery or some of the most horrific laws of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not offend. I think there's a there's some people that would like to amend the Ten Commandments to include thou shalt not offend as one of those the the big ones. It doesn't seem like being offended uh should be that major of a crime or that major uh of something to uh to feel that you've been wronged upon. But in today's society being offended and I'm not trying to diminish any of these these horrible other crimes, but I think of being offended has been elevated to uh, some some levels that it's not. It get over it. Being offended, we're all offended by something, and I think that we can learn to get a, a thick skin. We've got a couple of generations here that I don't believe. We're raised with any skin, regardless of thick. But that's a whole other topic. But what was great about Seinfeld, and what is great about Seinfeld, is I must say, I still watch it almost daily. Pretty much, I will watch at least one Seinfeld every day. It's on enough where I could find it, certainly at certain times. Chicago area here, it's on at 10 o'clock and 10.30 at night. Um, once again, with a DVR, you can just hit record all Seinfelds on Comedy Central and have as many as you want, or you can go on Netflix and watch any episode anytime you want. But I do, I would say, I do watch at least one Seinfeld a day, whether it's time-shifted or when it's on television or not, even more than The Honeymooners. And I love the Honeymooners. And I'm a huge fan of Andy Griffith and Dick Van Dyke and The Odd Couple and so many other shows, those sitcoms from the 60s and 70s. But I have to say that Seinfeld, for me, has not lost its comic edge whatsoever. From when I watched it when it was airing first episodes to now the last 25 years of just watching reruns. And you may remember that the the show has had some moments when it has had a reunion, if you will, especially uh, on early episodes of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. 
Larry David's other successful and hilarious sitcom, which is also one of my favorites. The interesting thing about Seinfeld, it it went through some of the same types of uh, television uh, churnings as anything. Uh, You know, Jerry Seinfeld, and, 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 and to their credit, they even... Because the show was about Jerry Se- quasi Jerry Seinfeld's career and life, uh, they wisely incorporated many of this of the history of how the show got uh, picked up and evolved, how the show evolved into the show itself, which was brilliant. Just a well written show, first of all, clever, well written, and most of all, really funny. But it wasn't always really funny. I give Jerry Seinfeld a lot of credit. As I said, Jerry Seinfeld is still out there performing. Can easily be called one of the funniest men alive. Certainly one of the most successful comedians, stand-up comedians. He's totally in it. He's totally into it. He's still doing it. He's close to 70, if not 70, and he's still out there with new material, um, performing and entertaining. He's not doing old material. He's doing new material. He's a craftsman. He talks about how he sits there with a legal pad and will write a joke and will labor on the joke to make sure that the wording is right and the cadence is right. He is a a, a joke craftsman. He's not just an ad-libber. He really works hard to make sure there's a setup and a payoff. His jokes are not, his his humor and his jokes are not old-fashioned, but his process is. Set up, payoff. And he works hard to make sure that it's worded correctly, that it's memorable in how it's crafted and delivered, and and then at the end of the day, that the punchline is there to make you laugh and to make you remember it. At the same time, he was smart to realize that he might, you know, he's a stand-up comedian. Could he do this? You know, his ego could have said, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I could do this sitcom thing. But he wisely chose somebody who had a similar type of comic perspective, but also had a little edge to it. Jerry, the reason why Jerry Seinfeld was approached was because he had a very clean-cut image. He didn't swear in his act. His his observational humor was not as biting or as controversial as, say, George Carlin. They were both observational, but George Carlin was definitely more about, uh, you know, about preaching almost Seinfeld was there to make you laugh still is he 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 pointed out he points out life's absurdities that we all can relate to but he doesn't hit you over the head with it he's not trying to teach you a lesson he's not trying to change you George Carlin came you know was from was 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 a was a 60s baby boomer hippie who was looking at the injustices of life and the absurdities to change things and to argue about them. He's much more cynical. 
Jerry Seinfeld is not that way. He looks at the same absurdities, but he does it uh, in a much more fun and and gentle way to just show you the absurdities. He's not there to pound them into you and 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 show you the injustice of it. He's there to just point it out. And that's where his humor is so relatable. And so that's why he's had such a long career because he's got the knack to see some of the absurdities of life that we all encounter and pull them out and highlight them and comment on their absurdities. And that's his talent. And by teaming up with Larry David, he Larry David did have some of that edgier, cynical side, like a George Carlin. Same kind, same same process, observational, but different approach. Jerry, have you ever noticed? Have you ever seen? More conversational, um, more engaging. Larry David, a little more like George Carlin, a little more cynical, a little more abrasive, a little more in your face. And Seinfeld was smart enough to realize that to keep this sitcom interesting and fun and different and, and even innovative, that he needed a little of that. It was very McCartney and Lennon in many ways, with Seinfeld being Paul McCartney and Larry David being John Lennon. Paul McCartney, the optimistic melody man, smiling, bubbly, Lennon, a little more acerbic, a little darker, a little more cynical, And the combination of those two created some of the greatest music in pop history. In the same way, the comic perspectives and stylings of Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David, when combined, made for, in my view, and it's hard for me to say this, but probably the best sitcom ever. Yes, maybe, yes. As clever and as funny as the Honeymooners are, And I love that show. I think Seinfeld may have it beat. For the Honeymooners, a a real close second for me. But when you look at the impact that Seinfeld has had on our culture in the last 30, almost 35 years, it's it's undeniable. Now, If you are a Seinfeld aficionado, you will know that this show was not an immediate hit. I remember when Cheers first premiered, the first Cheers episode. I remember watching it. That first episode was so packed with jokes that from the first day, everybody talked about how great Cheers was. The first episode, it was so... It just crackled. It was boom, boom, boom. It was 
every almost every, there wasn't 30 seconds that went didn't go by without some joke and it, it, they all landed i remember watching the first episode of cheers and saying whoa what what just happened here they really and that and that show was able to continue that that kind of pace once again for for a long run and that's why it was tv's number one show for many many years and won all types of grammy awards or not grammy emmy awards I remember seeing the first episode of Modern Family and going, wow, what was that? That was clever and funny and joke-packed. Now, interestingly enough, Seinfeld was not an instant hit. In fact, it was very close to being canceled because they were doing something different. This really was breaking the usual sitcom mold. The reason why Modern Family and Cheers were so funny was that they were still following the sitcom rules. They jam-packed it with a with great writing and great acting. And it was they were just they were just packed with jokes. But it was still the sitcom formula. But Seinfeld from its beginnings, from its initial episodes was very different it was a very cool idea to take a to take a quasi version of jerry seinfeld just as larry david has done with curb your enthusiasm still playing larry david but an exaggerated version of larry david in the same way that seinfeld took the comedian jerry seinfeld and made a fictional elevated version of him and his life but many of those aspects were taken from real life because Seinfeld and Larry David didn't have experience writing for sitcoms Larry David did have experience as a writer he wrote for Saturday Night Live uh, he, he talks about his, his one year there that was very unsuccessful. He got one sketch on, if that, I believe. And he also wrote for a show that was a competing show to Saturday Night Live. To some extent, it wasn't on the same day. It was called Fridays, but it was the same thing. It was a sketch show called Fridays, which a young, unknown physical comic named Michael Richards was on at one time. And... When Larry David was at Saturday Night Live, a certain actress named Julia Louis-Dreyfus was on Saturday Night Live at the same time. So that's where the connections for Michael Richards and Julia Louis-Dreyfus come from. They worked with Larry David in the past on these other two shows. But my point is that their idea of putting together this sitcom was breaking many of the usual sitcom rules. And, and, and that's not easy to do, especially at a network television level. They were fortunate that they had honchos and key executives at the place, at NBC, that were willing to give it a chance to grow. Like Brandon Tartikoff, who was... Sadly, he died very young of cancer, but he was a TV whiz kid and was responsible in the 80s for establishing NBC with Cheers and The Cosby Show and many others. You know, Thursday night was must-see TV. 
with all the the, the, the the sitcoms. And then he passed away, and Warren Littlefield then was also a major booster of the Seinfeld show. Also, what people a lot of people don't know, too, is behind the scenes, if you ever watch a Seinfeld episode, you'll see uh, when, when it's done, it says a Castle Rock production. Well, Castle Rock is a production company headed by many people, but prominently, at least back then, 35, 40 years ago, by two major entertainment forces, Rob Reiner, who played Meathead on All in the Family and now one of the most successful film directors, and Stephen King, the ridiculously successful author, who, of course, the two of them worked together on the film Stand By Me, which was based on a Stephen King short story. So not only did the Seinfeld show have some boosters at the network, but then it also had some major mockers, if you will, some power people in the production company could also talk to the network people to say, you know what, this show has something and it needs time to develop and it needs time to find an audience. They even say that on some of the episodes when when the sitcom within a sitcom on Seinfeld, Jerry is being produced and they showed you some of, a, of an elevated version of how the show got started itself. The play within a play is a is a construct used by Shakespeare and many people, and here it was a sitcom within a sitcom. The the fake show Jerry was being shown on the real show Seinfeld. <laughs> Once again, brilliant, different. But they were lucky, Larry David and, and Jerry Seinfeld, that they were allowed to find their voice, their comedic voice, and find what was going to be so different about Seinfeld because the ratings were not there initially at all, not even close. And it was only because of the network deciding to stick with it and maybe, like I said, behind the scenes, people like Rob Reiner and Stephen King fighting for it Apparently, that, that one of the famous episodes, the Chinese restaurant, which takes place of, of the four of them just waiting. In fact, it's not even the four of them. Kramer's not even in that episode, I don't think. The three of them just waiting for a table. And NBC was like, this is not funny. This is, we, you can't do a sitcom about waiting for a table. But that was that was the, the, the that was the, the the ingenious of of the Seinfeld concept of taking the ordinary and the mundane and finding the humor in it that we can all relate to. That was the the core of Jerry and still is the core of Jerry Seinfeld's stand up, and then the absurdity is the Larry David side of looking at it from the absurdist and the cynical side. And that's what made that episode so funny. But apparently the networks were very, the network was hesitant to even do that. This is not funny. You cannot do this. And from what I've read is that Rob Reiner and Stephen King, 
you know, sat down with with the NBC executive and said, "Look, this is funny. This you've got to air this. This is what the show is." So, there's no question that Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David are the driving forces of this. But there were other forces involved, as any kind of successful venture is. As talented as some people may be, you have to have support from others that can cover your butt, who can champion you, and can <clears throat> can give you go out go can go out on a limb for you <clears throat> when when you're when you don't have it yet, but they believe you have it. And sometimes that belief works, and sometimes it doesn't. But most successful people have, if you look at their history of how they got there, there was somebody on the inside or somebody with power that was helping them, that was guiding them, that was providing them cover or providing them some influence that kept it. Because purely on the ratings, Seinfeld never should have, after the first four episodes, it should have got thrown out. It it didn't make a blip. And then as as things went on, as it got the support and began to become a, a water cooler show, which is kind of a, an outdated term now since people don't even go to the office, but there was kind of a buzz going on about Seinfeld. Once again, this is in the early 90s. There is no internet. There is no social media. The buzz was word of mouth. Today's world, completely different. Today's world of mouth is global. But people that were watching Seinfeld were, were talking about it to their friends. Did you see the show called Seinfeld? It, they had an episode about blank. And it was really funny. It was so different. It took time for, the, for, for Jerry and Larry to find their voice, to find what the show was about. And it also took the audience time to accept it because it was so different than the average sitcom. Once again, if you watch Seinfeld today, you say, What's so groundbreaking about it? Well, it doesn't seem that groundbreaking because since then, many shows have tried to copy it, at least in its theory. So you see shows that are similar to it. But at that time, there wasn't anything. Same, the same thing happens with the Beatles. Some younger people say, what's so big about the Beatles? What's so revolutionary? I keep hearing about how revolutionary they are. Because you weren't there and you didn't hear the music that was being played before the Beatles hit. It was different. It did shake things up. All the music since then has been derivative of them to some extent. So they don't seem as revolutionary today as they did when they first came. But when they came on the scene, they were just like Elvis was. We don't seem, the United States doesn't seem that revolutionary, does it? We're, 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 we're the major world power. But we were, we, were, we were scrappy revolutionalists that the other powers at the time didn't even pay attention to. Now we're the norm. But the United States at one time was the rebel. But now you look back and, they, and everybody's, everybody looks at the United States as, oh, they're, well, there was a time when what we were doing was different. Seinfeld was different. But it did take time. 
If you watch some of the early episodes, for me personally, it's hard for me to watch the first season, the first full season. The show does not have a pacing. It feels very much like it is uh, a lot of, of like several different comedy bits or comedy uh, you know, stand-up comedy routines put into an episode. It feels like two stand-up comics writing it. It feels that way. It doesn't flow. There's not the same payoffs. There seems to be routines going on within a story based around a routine that they may have done or thought about in their past. The characters are not fully developed. Elaine isn't as fully developed in the early episodes. As they joke in the show that they can't write for a woman when they're trying to put together their sitcom Jerry. Kramer at the beginning is is way, way odd. He was always odd, but there's a difference in Kramer from the beginning. Jerry... Very deadpan. George was basically Woody Allen. If you watch the early episodes of, of Seinfeld, he's, he's got the Woody Allen cadence. He looks like Woody Allen with the glasses. Uh, what he's saying is very Woody Allen-like. But within the first couple of years, it wasn't until about 1992 when the show finally settled in and found its voice. But that was two years. So credit, once again, the powers at NBC for sticking with it because it wasn't there yet, and they easily had the justification to cancel that show. The ratings were not there. But they saw potential. They had they, they saw some of the buzz of the hip the hip buzz that was going on. And they may have had some power brokers behind the scenes pulling strings like Rob Reiner, Stephen King, Brandon Tartikoff, who were who were willing to give it a chance and also key, give it some major uh, time slots so an audience, a bigger audience can see it. Putting it after Cheers was huge. That really cemented it. Seinfeld, for a time, was on after Cheers. And then when Cheers went off the air, Seinfeld took its time slot. But once again, it shows the, the, uh, the support that NBC had for it by putting a show that did not have great ratings and did not have great na- name recognition at the beginning to put it on after Cheers when they knew that the big audience was there for Cheers, and hopefully when Cheers ended, they would stay and watch to see what the Seinfeld thing was on. That's when you have support of the network, and you have the powers that be on your sides. There's no question Seinfeld had that. As funny as the show was, as talented as everybody was, without that behind-the-scenes support, it could have been gone in a year. And we would not have had some of the more memorable episodes that are now TV sitcom history, pinnacles, milestones, classics. We wouldn't have had 
phrases that have become pop culture lexicon. We all use them. Yada, yada, yada. Regifting. Master of your domain. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Serenity now. Sponge-worthy. No soup for you. Low talker. Festivus for the rest of us. There were st- <laughs> That's the key to a pop culture uh, institution as well, is that you change the culture and you become part of it. Seinfeld show did that. It helped change the way sitcoms were written, the way they sounded, the way they looked. And then it changed and got it sunk itself into the culture with what it talked about with these phrases and with some of these situations. There's also some People that not only did it make huge stars out of Jason Alexander, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, and Michael Richards, and Jerry Seinfeld. Julia Louis-Dreyfus has won several Emmy Awards, including one for Seinfeld. Michael Richards won for Seinfeld. Seinfeld, the show. Sadly, what a shame. One of the great characters of sitcom history, George Costanza. No question. And... Jason Alexander never won an Emmy for Best Supporting Actor or Best Actor in a Sitcom. What a shame. The George Costanza character to me is one of the great sitcom characters of all time. Sadly, I, as I say, uh, in many ways, I identify with both Larry David's character on Curb Your Enthusiasm and his, the character most like Larry David on Seinfeld, George Costanza. <laughs> so I have a soft spot for George as well as the Larry David character. Um, unfortunately, at the same time as Seinfeld, you had Frazier that was dominating the Emmys. And you had the great da- uh, David Hyde Pierce as Niles, who consistently would beat out Jason Alexander for the Emmy. It's really a shame because there's no doubt that all three of those people supporting Jerry... And Jerry won an Emmy because he created it when it won Comedy of the Year. So they all have one for their individual uh, accomplishments, except Jason Alexander. And, and that's really sad and an injustice because I thought that George, in so many ways, was really the heart of that show. And as we know, he was because he was Larry David's voice in that show. And we know the impact Larry David had in the development of that show, especially when you saw Curb Your Enthusiasm and saw many of the same types of Seinfeldian views, only a little more crass, because now you didn't have, as I said earlier, you didn't have Jerry's soft side to sort of say, well, I don't know if we want to do that. Let's try it this way. It's a little, it's a little, it's a little less acerbic, a little less crude. But without that filter, then that became Curb Your Enthusiasm. Just like, as I said before, to use the Beatle analogy, when the Beatles broke up, look at Paul McCartney's solo music and look at John Lennon's solo music. McCartney's 
is much more melodic and 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 light. Uh, you know, silly love songs, just another day, uh, bouncy. Lennon's a little more acerbic and deeper. Imagine power to the people, mind games. How do you sleep at night? Crippled inside. Lennon was Larry David. Seinfeld was Paul McCartney, if you use the analogy. But that show, as I said, not only did it give us uh, these four great characters, who they and they and they actually were at the time in the hype machine when the show became so popular, and became number one. They were compared to the Beatles. They were called the TV's Fab Four. And not only did the did those four become classic characters within TV and sitcom history, not only did the show uh, have some great catchphrases, as I said before, like yada, 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 and regifting and spongeworthy and low talker and close talker, and not that there's anything wrong with that, not only did it have some great uh, episodes, like I said, the Chinese restaurant, the Festivus episode, the puffy shirt. The one episode that really, from my personal, and, and even the members of the show will say this, and because I remember this, the thing with, that Seinfeld did, not only did it change the viewpoint and the cadence and the the sitcom mold by by the way it was written and what it talked about but it also broke many tv taboos at the time once again 30 years later we look back and say what taboos but there were taboos the for me i remember saying i will be watching this show forever now and i and i have lived up to that is i remember watching the famous when it aired the first time, the episode called The Contest, when the four of them make a bet as to who can hold out self-gratifying themselves. Look at me, even not using their words. This was such a controversial topic that, once again, as I said, they used to get a lot of pushback from NBC because they were pushing the envelope, talking about things you didn't usually talk about on television and you certainly didn't talk about on a sitcom. So that initially there was constant battles in the early days of Seinfeld until the network realized that's the niche. People accept it. They're not offended. They're laughing at it. They're, they're in on the joke. But it took the network executives the time to realize that. But the one episode that really turned it, and, and everybody, there's two episodes really that, that, that I've read uh, that, that the creators and the cast realized that this is where we found our voice. We found what we can do. The first one, I remember this distinctly, that the contest episode, when it started and they were talking about doing this bet, I remember talk, look, turn, turning to my wife and saying, are they talking about what I think they're talking about? Because you did not talk about masturbation on television. And they were talking about it without mentioning it. And... The way they showed it with, uh, you know, who was still in on the bet by who was sleeping at night and who was, who was frustrated and awake was genius. 
they were able to talk about a very taboo, touchy subject in a smart, intelligent, clever, and hysterical way. And I remember watching that episode and saying, wow, that was genius. And it wound up winning an Emmy Award because it was so well written and so well executed by the actors and the writers and everything. And when I saw that episode, I said, this is a show I want to keep watching. This is clever. This is smart. This is my kind of show. From, the, from a creative standpoint, Jerry Seinfeld has said the other episode, the Junior Mints episode, remember that one? Where Elaine visits a former boyfriend who is getting an operation, and Jerry and, and Kramer observe the operation, and Kramer accidentally drops a Junior Mint while they're observing the operation, and the junior mint falls into the incision during the operation and actually helps cure an infection. Okay, that can never happen on many levels. The most obvious level is, if you've ever even seen on television any medical drama, which, of course, makes perfect sense in reality. I haven't sat in on an operation i don't know but i would assume just from a standpoint of 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 being sterile of being a non a non-germ uh environment jerry and kramer while watching the operation in no way could have dropped a junior mint into the incision because there would have been glass they would have been cordoned off they would have been separated from the operating room by a barrier, by a clear glass. If they were watching it, fine. But you, they could not have ever dropped a foreign object into the incision and into the operation. It's impossible. But for comic effect, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld sm- wisely said, okay, we well, you know what, we're going to break the rules. This isn't reality. This is a comedy show. So let's have comedy. The Three Stooges, with, you know, every, they came back with no bruises the next episode. So we are, we are, yes, we are showing reality in many ways, but we're also here to entertain and take reality and elevate it and take it to a different level. So, you know, we're going to break the rules of reality. And so... That's why there was no glass between Jerry and Kramer. And that's why the junior mint could fall into the man's body for comic effect. And Jerry said after that episode, when it was hilarious, people laughed, they talked about it, then they realized, you know what, we can push the boundaries of reality as well. Even though many of the shows based were based on realistic kind of um, situations, they also realized that the audience would be accepting if they stretched reality as well. And then that really pushed them off into some of the greatest episodes that they ever had. Because then they realized that we, we can push the boundaries of reality and the audience will accept them. Also, some of the great supporting characters in TV history Many who've gone on to great fame. The most, of course, Brian Cranston as the doctor, as the dentist, uh, Tim Watley. But George's parents, Jerry Stiller, oh, and his mother, 
Uh, you know, Estelle? Oh. Seinfeld's parents? Some of the get, uh, you know, I mean, of course, my favorite second banana of all time. Hello, Newman. Oh, my gosh. What a great character Newman was playing him as like this evil nemesis to Jerry. Newman. That was genius. If you if you ever go back, and I remember seeing these once again, reruns as a little kid, the, the Abbott and Costello had a TV show. A sitcom, a half-hour show, not just all their movies. They had the Abbott and Costello show. And it was basically about Bud and Lou and their daily life. Very similar to Seinfeld. You know, the, you know there's, very, there's very few original ideas. What makes things revolutionary is you take a previous idea and then you change it into something new. And that's what Seinfeld is. Seinfeld in many ways, and, and Jerry admits this, was based a lot on the old Abbott and Costello shows about Bud and Lou, who were Bud and Lou, just like Jerry was Jerry. They were living in an apartment building. They were in the neighborhood. That's why on Seinfeld you see there's all these different characters within the apartment building. That's the same thing that... Bud and Lou reacted against people in their apartment building, their neighbors, their landlord. That was happening on Seinfeld in the neighborhood. They would walk in the neighborhood and 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 encounter people in the streets and in the shops and the shop owners and the the people, uh, you know, uh, that that worked there and lived there. That's what Seinfeld did, right? They're always walking down the street. Going into into the store, the soup Nazi, uh, the mom and pop uh, shoe people, Babu with his restaurant, Seinfeld very and he like I said he admits it. This is no great revelation. Was based very much on those vintage nineteen fifties and sixties Abbott and Costello shows. They just modernized it and then took it to their own to their own level. But there were so many, like I said, recurring characters. You know, Mickey, the little person who took over after Newman went and was on Third Rock uh, for the, uh, of the Sun for a while, or from the Sun for a while. Mickey came in as as um, Kramer's sidekick. All of Jerry's girlfriends, the low talk. I mean, there's so many. George's girlfriends, you know, George's marriage, George's in laws. Two of those actors were both from Twin Peaks. Um, Lloyd Bridges, fantastic as Mr. Mendelbaum, the 80-year-old fitness guru who owned the Magic Pan. Mendelbaum, Mendelbaum. You think you're better than us, don't you? Oh. So that show just, it, it hit on every level. It had biting humor, acerbic at times, but relatable at times, which is what made it so great. It touched on taboo topics in a clever way. The thing about the Seinfeld episodes, too, was always the end. The end, you always have to stick around for the end just like Kirby enthusiasm, because there was always a kicker. There was always a callback of something that happened earlier that gave it the final laugh as well. One of the greatest episodes and the greatest examples of that is the marine biologist 
earlier in the episode. Kramer is golfing and hitting balls into the ocean. And at the end of that episode, George tells this story how he and this girl that he liked in high school became, uh, you know, almost became romantic because he became a marine biologist and was able to help a whale because of what? One of Kramer's golf balls got stuck in the blowhole of the whale. (laughs) Genius. The callback. Taking something that you talked about early and then making a final joke about it. And that's why Larry David's humor took a while for people to get. Larry David was not a very successful stand-up comedian. He was a successful script uh, sketch writer on Saturday Night Live because he his his comedy is not immediate. His comedy takes time to develop. He it's clever. He plants the seeds and then he gets you at the end. On Saturday Night Live, for instance, you need to get in there and and be funny fast right off the bat because you only got two or three minutes. But that's not the way Larry David is. His comedy is 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 develops over time over minutes most comedy isn't allowed to to develop over 15 minutes and not certainly a stand-up comic boom 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 you need those rifle jokes like i said about cheers so larry david's genius his comedy was different as i said about the pacing of the show seinfeld brought the relatableness into it but Larry David brought the the cleverness and and in the in the process of it and the absurdity and then the kicker at the end. So that's why you have to watch Seinfeld at the very end because many reasons that last scene ties it all in and is you go oh perfect. That's Larry David. That's Larry David. Many people then copied him as Larry David left the show. Now, the great thing about, or the interesting thing about Seinfeld also is that for great as a show as it was for so many years, number one, influential, part of our pop culture, part of our history, part of our everyday life, one of the great things or the great ironies is that its finale episode is viewed by many as one of the worst finale episodes in sitcom history, whereas the end of the Newhart show in the 80s with Bob Newhart when he owns the inn uh, uh, you know, on the East Coast where they bring back Suzanne Plachette that the whole show was basically a dream that Robert Hartley had. Genius ending. Most people agree that was the greatest ending of a finale show in sitcom history. On the other side of the coin, many people, for as great as the Seinfeld show was, how groundbreaking it was, many people still regard the finale as a big disappointment. But ultimately, if you look at it, it was very in keeping with the show. Was it the greatest hilarious ending? No. But what it did do was show that after all those years, the characters still hadn't grown. They still hadn't changed. They were still self-important. 
They were still petty. They were still selfish. They still were politically incorrect. They still worried only about themselves and not other people. And in that final episode, all those attributes were still there, so much so that it got them in jail. So Larry David was making a point. He was showing, in fact, the show ends with one of the same jokes that was from the first episode about Jerry complaining about the top button on a shirt. That's the last real joke of the finale episode. And it was one of the first jokes in the premiere episode. So it did tie things up. It did make sense from an intellectual standpoint. And there were some funny things, but it wasn't this big laugh riot or it didn't have this real big, uh, you know, surprise ending. The ending of of the show was just as cynical as it started. So I'm not defending it, but I understand why, because Larry David came back to write that final episode. And many people will still say it's bad. I don't think it's the greatest episode, but, but in terms of a, of, of a book ending it from how it started to how it ended, it does make sense. It might not be uproariously hilarious, but it does make sense. But 25 years ago today, or no, not today, but this month, recently at least, whatever you want to say, we had the end of Seinfeld. And it's, you know, it's just really amazing to think that that much time has passed since it's been on and how television has changed and how television has has been influenced by it. I still watch it, as I said before, every day. And, you know, the the greatest part is that at the end of the day, the best sitcom, arguably, in TV history could be described... I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. <laughs> and so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 366. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. From the end of the web to your screen. Nothing. What does that mean? The show is about nothing. Nothing.